I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good morning. Good morning. Please come in. Don't be nervous. Just an interview. And uh, your name is Mr. Let me have a look here. Cyberman. Yes. Phil Cyberman. Uh, yes, that's right. Philip. Phil. Phil. Hi. Now, you're applying for the job of IT specialist, yes? Now, your job will primarily consist of helping employees convert Word documents to PDF files. I am adept at conversion of humans. Okay, at least half of that response was perfect, and we are very short-staffed, so that's what I'm going to focus on. Where are you from again, by the way? Uh, human town. Human town. Aha. Uh-huh. And where'd you study? I went to community college. Seems legit. Okay, and finally, what do you do when you're checking in on an employee's computer and they've got a virus on there? Delete. 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 The virus or the employee? Delete. Close enough. You're hired! Wait till I tell my boyfriend. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Doctor Is In. I'm Paul Verhoeven, your host, and a quick thanks to my neighbour who saw me once again trying to use my PropSonic screwdriver to open a beer when I thought nobody was looking. And then she waved, and I waved, and then I went and got a bottle opener. Which is a shame, because I'm convinced I was seconds away from exciting the particles in the beer and changing it from an IPA into a stout. But anyway, this episode of The Doctor Is In is a big one. I mean, really really big. Because later in the episode, I will be talking with... I kind of buried the lead here, didn't I? I'll be interviewing Stephen Moffat. Yes, the Stephen Moffat. He called in from London, and you'll be able to hear our chat later on in the show. Also, we're going to be looking at Peter Davison's The Fifth Doctor, the one with the celery fetish. But first, it's time for Whose News Is It Anyway? In Doctor Who News this week... Captain Jack Harkness is coming back. John Barrowman is going to be returning in a brand new series of Torchwood. The only twist to this is it's actually going to be a season of audio plays released by Big Finish. Now, Big Finish typically will release amazing, fully produced uh, audio plays from the Doctor Who universe. So they have the cast and the crew and the music and the plot and they have overarching, you know, plot arcs and they have recurring villains and pretty much every Doctor from Tom Baker onwards, apart from Eccleston, has been involved. And I will talk at length about Big Finish at the drop of a hat, but this is very exciting because the last time we saw Captain Jack was six years ago in Torchwood Miracle Day, and what we're going to get here is a fully fleshed out season of Torchwood released by Big Finish. It's an entire season. There are some really great scripts by new writers. There are some scripts from writers who worked on the show before. Russell T. Davies is uh, looking over the whole thing. It's going to be absolutely awesome, so we will have more news on that very soon. But now, without any further ado, it's time for my interview with Stephen Moffat. Enjoy. Thank you so much for, for joining me on the show, Stephen. It's, um, it's, it's an honor. Uh, this is your final season on Doctor Who, and you're known for, you know, like labyrinthine, hugely complex plots with twists and reveals. What I want to know is, is there anything you wanted to do but aren't going to have the time for, or that the BBC said, 
a flat out no to? Like ideas that were too nuts to actually commit to? Uh, no, no, no. I think both of those. Um, I think I've been in the job so long, I've done everything that uh, I could think of, uh, twice probably. Uh, and the, uh, the BBC, no, it doesn't work like that. Uh, <laughs> extraordinarily enough, they, uh, they don't uh, stare over my shoulder. I'm always inviting them to look over my shoulder. Right. I really am. And I remember when uh, the brilliant Ben Stevenson, who was uh, commissioning editor for BBC One, turned up on uh, at, uh, at the read-through for, for the Pandorica Opens, and he hadn't read it. And I was thinking, have you any idea how much money you're about to spend on this? <laughs> so, you know, you know, they don't. They, they, they tend to, that's very typical of BBC, they tend to uh, give you your head, let you go with it, and then execute you if it doesn't work out. Fortunately, I haven't so far been executed. Sure, so they basically give you as much rope as they can afford and then just let you play with it. Or hang yourself, yes, one or the other. <laughs> it's a lot grislier than I thought, you know, auntie were. Okay, so um, when people, you know, grow up, uh, as most humans do, they're typically influenced by fictional worlds, you know, and you kind of grow up and you steep in them and you watch and you read. So what were the worlds that you were into? Was it Star Wars or Star Trek or Tolkien or were you Doctor Who from the get-go? I was Doctor Who. I was just Doctor Who. That was the, even when I was too frightened to watch it. I was uh, I was fascinated by it. Um, I'm afraid that's the most boring answer. But uh, Doctor Who was it's so often its own influence. It's so often the primary influence on the people who work on the show, and that that stands for Russell and for David and for Peter and for Brian and for loads of us. It, it, it was that show. It's the show that seems to encompass every other genre anyway, so it's your, it's your one-stop genre shop, really, isn't it? It does everything. So you don't need other things. But, I mean, in terms of the stuff that I was influenced by, I mean, I of course I love Star Trek. I you know I love Star Trek, and of course I love Star Wars because I'm a sane human being. But they, were, <laughs> they weren't major things. Uh, it would be more like uh, things like Narnia, uh, minus the Christian allegory that I didn't really notice at the time. Sure. I loved Narnia, I loved The Hobbit, uh, I loved the book uh, Tom's Midnight Garden, which if you go and read it, you'll realise I've been ripping off consistently for, <laughs> for decades now. Um, it's, uh, it's a wonderful book. If you haven't read it, you must go and read it. It'll make you cry at the end. It's really wonderful. Right. Um, I just tracked down a TV... I, I just the other day... I tracked down a TV series that I watched and was terrified by by a child uh, as a child, and I couldn't work out what it was called. And I finally, by using Google, <laughs> worked out what the show was and ordered the DVD, uh, which is called the um, Escape into Darkness. I think, which is about a little girl who dreams and draws, and her uh, and her drawings come into her dreams. And it was uh, Escape, Escape into Night. That's what it's called. So I'm going to watch that. So it tended to be, I suppose, predictably the quite magical uh, end of things that fascinated me rather than the science fiction side of things, that, uh, which I loved. I mean, I absolutely love science fiction, mm. but it doesn't engage me uh, in, a, in a fascinated way the way uh, the more magical things do. Now, I know that will make some people cross because some people are always cross, <laughs> but the fact is Doctor Who is always like that. It's always been the more magical end of it. It's about the it's about the wizard and the magic flying box that looks like a phone box and all that. You know, it's got that kind of feel to it. It feels more magical, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I think 
naked in trances children. I mean, you've been into it, you know, it, it obviously entranced you. Were there any stories that you had festering away from your early days of make-believe that you ended up dusting off later on and turning into actual stories that you got paid for? Like, did you end up doing that? Um, I'm trying to think. There probably are. I mean, uh, I was always fascinated by the Doctor, and, and I don't know how young I was. This, this could be, you know, back when I was in my 20s. But maybe, uh, uh, I think I was always fascinated by the Doctor stumbling on his own grave. Oh, uh, I yeah. was, uh, I was always quite interested in, uh, in the idea of, uh, you know, for all that we know, he's just uh, a bumbling attention seeker uh, and adrenaline junkie running around the universe. He must appear to everybody else like an awesome god who takes every, uh, who sorts everything else out. So I, I always found that quite interesting. Yeah. Are there places where they worship him? Does he have a reputation that's completely at variance with the feckless thrill seeker we know him to be? I find that, I've always found that, I still find that interesting. We know he's not really keeping the universe in order, except by, you know, default. But uh, people think of him that way, yeah. understandably. And sometimes he plays up to the image, but he's not really that at all. I always find that quite I wanted to talk to you about the age discrepancy because the when the show came out again and they said he was 900 years old, is he actually... Mm. Is the age that you guys are putting into the show, is that is that for real or is that the Doctor sort of like my one of my mates who perpetually claims every year that he's turning 30 again and again and again? Well, first of all, I think there's two things to say about that. Is he talking about Gallifreyan years or Earth years? Oh. Uh, given he's talking to a human being, he could be talking in Earth years for them to understand how old he is. Sure. Uh, on other occasions, he could be talking in Gallifreyan years, which it is highly improbable are the, are, are the same length. But more importantly, I believe it is impossible for the doctor to know what age he really is. You and I, we can check the calendar. We just do, we, we just do you know, some basic subtraction and work out what age we must be, mm. uh, or basic, basic addition. Um, the, the doctor can't know that. He's been living in a time machine. The calendar tells him nothing. So he, unless he's been keeping, keeping notes every time he goes to bed of, what, of how many days he's lived, how could he possibly know what age he is? I think he makes up an age that sounds cool. I mean, uh, and I think that's consistent with the doctor's character, mm. that you can never really take entirely seriously anything the doctor says. It, I mean, he, I, think, I don't think he's really in the business of telling you the truth about anything. I think there's just an endless stream of distraction coming out of that. <laughs> Very rarely is he telling you anything true about himself. If he hasn't told you his name, why would he really tell you his age? And in any event, how could he possibly know what it is? Yeah, that makes sense. And I find that like deeply comforting. Uh, so, so thank you for that. Um... I, I had this is this is going to be kind of left field. I'm not sure if you've been asked this before, but you didn't just you know work on Who. You've got multiple Moffat realities going on. So what I wanted to ask was, and this is deadly serious, did you ever consider crossing the streams? Like, how has the TARDIS never materialized inside the office of the Junior Gazette with Spike and Linda watching as it appears and hopping inside? Like, did you ever consider like jamming your worlds together? I haven't really. No, to be honest. Um, I mean, and obviously the big one that people always ask about is Doctor Who and Sherlock. 
The trouble with that is, I think it's fine for Doctor Who. I think it's fine. Doctor Who could go and visit any other show and that would be fine. But every other show would be materially and completely and appallingly changed (laughs) by a fleeting visit from the Doctor. How could Sherlock, uh, while solving a a locked room mystery, not have to think about, well, maybe it was the Doctor in his TARDIS, did Sherlock, was Sherlock involved in any of the 28 Dalek invasions we've had to date and forgotten about? You know, you couldn't, how do you, uh, I think, I think Doctor Who would roll all over the other shows and their, their sense of reality. Sure. So, I, mean, I think that's a problem actually mm, for Doctor Who itself, mm. is that, you know, when the Doctor visits our world, we have to conveniently forget our world is fully aware of what aliens are and that they usually get invaded around Christmas. That actually makes sense because, like you said before, you know, there's science and there's magic, and the Doctor who is Doctor, the Doctor is magic, and the deductive reasoning of Sherlock is pure science, basically. So they can't, they can't yeah. coexist. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make an awful lot of sense. But also, beyond a great moment where they walk towards each other, what do you have? I mean, you, you only need one of those guys to make a show. You don't need two of them. You don't need two two intolerant geniuses running around the place. <laughs> Uh, they wouldn't enjoy it, and uh, I can tell you from writing multiple Doctor stories, it, it, there is a reason there's only one of those guys in any particular show. There is an absolute reason, because you only need one. If you have two of them, it's just not as interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully we've managed to solve those problems in the various times you've had about multiple Doctor stories, but it is a it is a problem. Yeah. So I think you know I think the idea of those crossovers would always be much more exciting than than the reality. Uh, and they really aren't going to happen. How the hell you would do the Doctor Who Sherlock one? Can you just begin to imagine the complexity of negotiating the order of the names and the title sequence? I mean, just never ever going to happen. So you're saying it wouldn't happen primarily because legal would have a nightmare with the paperwork, basically. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's... I, I don't think... I mean, there's part of me because I'm such a tart. Uh, that says, well, if people want it, let's do it. Sure. But there's another part of me, hopefully, you know, the, the, the slightly grown-up part of me, mm. the very slightly grown-up part of me says, that's not right for the story, so don't do it. But, you know, then, uh, but, you know, I, the, the, the over-sugared adolescent that, uh, that runs around inside my head is saying, yeah, but imagine all the TV listings coverage we'd get. So <laughs> I oh. think it's, I think sometimes the art has to conquer the commerce now and then. Right, so you're simultaneously being the excitable child and the sensible parent at the same time. God, that sounds exhausting. Well, you kind of have to do that. You kind of have to. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so what are you going to do the day after? I'm sure you haven't got this in your diary, but the day after you hand the keys over to Chibnall, like, what are you, what are you going to do with your time? Well, uh, well, first of all, I'm not, I'm not sure there's a specific day. I mean, Chris is already around, you know, so we both have the keys at the moment. Sure, sure. Um, and, uh, but... Uh, I mean, I can see the dates in my diary. I can see when my last dub is. I can see when the last shooting day is. Mm. What do I do? I'm going holiday. I mean, uh, I know, I know, I have whinged a lot about my workload over the last few years, but uh, it has been pretty epic because of both shows sort of overlapping all the time. Mm. Uh, I haven't had a weekend off really since 2009, and um, every time I go on holiday, and my wife books me another hotel room to use as my office, and I go and work there. So uh, the first thing I'll do is, I'll, and we've got that booked, uh, is I'll, I think I'll go to the San Diego Comic Con and then I'll just uh, bugger off on holiday for a while. And then I'll think about what I'm going to do next. Okay. I mean, I, I'm not short of offers and I'm not short of ideas. Right. 
but uh, I really, I mean, I'm still, still at this second and on today, I'm flat out on Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's, it doesn't feel like the end of days just because I've got loads of problems I haven't solved yet. Right. So, that just yeah. feels like being right in the middle of the job. Okay. So you're not going to be standing outside the set like Tennant watching Donna from outside a window with rain on you looking sad. So you're going to, you know, get a run into the sunset, basically. <laughs> like a cursed videotape and now he has to pass it on to someone else or he'll die in a week is it like that yes well he's very excited he's very excited he's just over the moon and starting to realize what it's all like and he's now he's he's having a great time he will have the best time it is an amazing job yeah it's overpowering and overwhelming but it is amazing it is amazing that's such a positive note well look um if okay so one one last question Stephen, if you'll humor me um The rap party's happened, you're on set, you know, you've had a drink or two, and you can steal one thing from the set. In the heat of the party, no one's looking, size isn't an issue, I've got a truck out the back. What do you nick off with to remember the show by? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't. I mean, I've got, and as it stands, I've got the half-size TARDIS from Flatline in my office, oh. and I've got a replica Dalek, I've got a weeping angel at the end of my garden. Mm. I've probably got enough. You know, the thing is, um, uh, you know, it's, if you actually work on the show, if it's part of your real life, yeah. all those props that might seem exciting if you're outside the show are just some stuff lying around. It doesn't, it doesn't mean much to me. Sure. I'm more excited about my, my, my replica Sylvester McCoy umbrella, I think, because that belongs to a show I wasn't part of, mm. if you see what I mean. If yeah. you're a part of, that was just the stuff. You know, the prop that irritated you because it looked a bit crap isn't something you're going to nix. I don't, I don't think I'll take anything. You know, I've got several of the doctors are personal friends. Why do I have to worry about stealing props? Yeah, no. And I just lose them. And you always just shove them in my cupboard eventually. So uh, I'll, I'll take the cupboard space, thank you. I know that sounds awful. All right. Uh, no, no, that... I take away from Doctor Who are, are, are a lot of very good friends. Uh, and some absolutely amazing memories and the shows we made that's what I'll take uh, you know I will uh, I'll be happy about that for the rest of my life I really will well look thank you for you know thank you for the memories you've contributed to the show it's been amazing you know watching you work and we can't wait to see what you do next good well um, uh, Saturday's episode is an absolute storm so don't miss that well, and we've got some real belters coming up so I'm, re- I'm really very excited about it Stephen Moffat thank you so much for joining me and uh, yeah, have, a, have a good one thank you 
Time now for Doctor Who Cliff's Notes, and here's a question for you. Have you ever woken up from a particularly rambunctious evening out, and you've been confused and irritable, you don't know where you are, and you, in a moment of mania, become convinced that the one thing you've always lacked in your life was a decorative vegetable? Well done. You now know exactly what it's like to be the Fifth Doctor. Now, the Fifth Doctor was, and still is, thanks to Big Finish, played by Peter Davison. Now, Peter Davison signed on to play the Doctor at the age of 29, and he stayed on for three seasons. But can you imagine having to follow the performative juggernaut that was Tom Baker? Like, the pressure would be incredible. Not helped by the fact that at the time, he was the youngest person ever to play the Doctor. But because of Peter Davison's uh, roles in shows like All Creatures Great and Small, where, incidentally, he played a doe-eyed spiffy little cardigan-wearing veterinarian named Tristan, he was considered a very big get for the BBC and a very big get in the pants for many fans. Now, after the fourth Doctor fell off a massive radar dish, he merged with this apparent future incarnation of the Doctor, this milky white creepo called the Watcher, who looked less like a Doctor Who character and more like an extra from the Mighty Boosh. I'm the Watcher. Anyway, his regeneration went really wrong, and it had him slipping into moments where he started behaving like previous incarnations of the Doctor, before he whacked on some cricketing gear and popped some celery on his lapel, and then he went and hid in the Zero Room, which is a room in the TARDIS that is the Time Lord equivalent of a sensory deprivation tank with healing properties, where he started behaving normally. He kept the celery, though, so... Normal is clearly a relative term. Now, the Fifth Doctor travelled with Nyssa, Tegan, and Adric, all of who saw him regenerate from the Fourth Doctor. Now, Tegan... Tegan... Tegan spent most of her tenure uh, with the Doctor complaining about... Look, pretty much everything. Somehow never managing to actually enjoy herself. Nyssa was an absolute delight with her incredible intellect and curiosity serving the Doctor very well. And then... Oh boy. Then there was Adric. Now... We need to talk about Adric. Adric was a math genius and a total git. He was absolutely awful. I don't think that's a controversial statement. He got along fine with the fourth Doctor and Romana and K9, but he regularly let his preference for the Doctor's previous incarnation show when he was in front of the fifth Doctor. And what's more, he started to view Nyssa and Tegan as like hindrances in his collapsing bromance with the fifth Doctor. He was also fiercely like, irritatingly competitive, and he got sulky when he wasn't the best at something. And finally, the showrunners did something very, very bold. In Earthshock, in order to stop a ship full of Cybermen crashing, uh, he sacrificed himself. He piloted their ship into prehistoric Earth, which caused the eradication of the dinosaurs. Now, the irony that a nerd would be the extinction cause of dinosaurs, one of the nerdiest things ever, should be jotted down at this point. Anyway, bye, Adric. Uh, after that, the Fifth Doctor was joined by Turlo, and Turlo was a junior ensign from the planet Trion, and Turlo is one of the most fascinating companions ever in that he was on, on again, off again, a bad guy, and while working for the Black Guardian, he tried to kill the Doctor. But that, that does not happen frequently. He was at times very selfish and incredibly self-serving, but uh, Turlo brought shades of grey to the Fifth Doctor's run, which it, you know, sorely needed. I also like to think he's the reason the Doctor you know, has wanted to be a ginger for so long, and God willing, one day will be. Uh, the Fifth Doctor was also joined up by Perry, an American who hung around with, with the Sixth Doctor later on, uh, but he was also joined by another contentious companion, Chameleon, with a K. So, okay, the Doctor rescues this shape-shifting robot called Chameleon and lets him join the TARDIS crew, which is a really good idea, right? I mean, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation showed us how cool a robot companion can be if the narrative talks about them learning how to be human. 
problem was, the robot itself, the prop, was really hard to control, and this is a true story. The guy who built and designed Chameleon died in a boating accident without leaving anyone the instructions to this arcane, complex, idiotic prop. So this character that was meant to be around heaps got hidden in the TARDIS somewhere and then just killed off. Like the Doctor had to zap him with the Master's Matter compression gun. Anyway, at some point, the Fifth Doctor ended up crashing into the Tenth Doctor's TARDIS in the excellent mini-episode Time Crash, which you need to go and watch. It's, it's an absolute delight. And then, he and Perry were exposed to a lethal toxin, and there was only enough antidote for one. So he gave it to Perry, which is just a lovely gesture. You know, it's, it's Bernard Cribbins all over again. His last words were, Adric. Adric was his last word. Most people believe this means he was lamenting the death of his companion, whereas I believe he died before he could finish what he actually meant to say, which was, Adric? Really? You stuck me with Adric? Uh, anyway, the fifth doctor. Just, uh, what, a, what a lovely chap. He also coined the phrase Braveheart Tegan in order to keep Tegan calm, and Tegan needed to be calmed down a lot. Anyway, there is some good Doctor Who to watch if you're going to be delving through the Fifth Doctor's run and the episodes I was going to recommend to you and I'm about to right now, so get a pen ready, Castrovalva, and then move on to Earthshock where we get to see Adric bite the dust. Then you can watch the Black Guardian trilogy which consists of Mordron Undead, Terminus and Enlightenment. Then you should go and watch the Five Doctors 20th Anniversary special which features quite a few of the previous incarnations of the Doctor. Then you can go across and watch the absolutely excellent Resurrection of the Daleks, and you can wrap it up with a steaming cup of Caves of Androzani. And next week, we're going to be looking at one of the most contentious Doctors, Colin Baker, the sixth Doctor. Now, it absolutely breaks my heart to announce that there's no more episode left. We've done it. we finished another episode of The Doctor Is In. My most heartfelt thanks to not just Stephen Moffat for calling in. God. Damn, that was a fun interview. But also, to you, thank you so much for listening to the episode, and thank you so much for subscribing and listening every week. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on board again, and uh, I'll be back next week. We'll be... Well, there's another bloody guest coming up, isn't there? This show is just sort of escalating into this event horizon of wonderment, and I'm really enjoying towing you along with me. So uh, please do tune in again next week, and don't forget to hit subscribe uh, over on iTunes and leave a review if you can. I'd really appreciate it. Anyway, have a great week, and I will see you in uh, seven-ish days. Bye. <laughs>Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.